This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Just a quick word, this episode has lots of strong language and discussions that would not be suitable for kids. Hello friends, you have caught me sitting at my mirror. I am doing the most important prep before a comfort eating guest comes around. I am taming the uncontrollable gorse bush that is my barnet. I'm readying myself for another episode of Comfort Eating. Good God, today's guest is Michelle DeSwart. She is a woman who has squeezed three lifetimes into one so far. I'm telling you, I am so looking forward to meeting her. Gotta get this hair looking its best. It's all about the front. If you get the front right, no one notices the back. So people ask all the time how I get the volume trade secret. Okay, I'll tell you. I, I do back home, but if I'm honest, it's very rarely washed. Only wash it, I say, when you can feel the birds nesting. Oh, got the start of one now. It's a little egg. Once I've teased it into place, that is an ozone layer of maximum hold hairspray. Anything less, just a waste of time. Now, Lewisham-born Michelle de Swart knows a thing or two about beauty. Before moving to comedy, she was a successful model. She's posed for legendary photographer Mario Testino and walked the catwalks for the likes of Dolce & Gabbana and Versace. Michelle was famous for her incredible gorgeousness, but also for once toppling over while walking down a Gucci catwalk, which was swathed in improbably thick sheepskin. As a stand-up, she's been named the Queen of Comedy by the Sunday Times. Her humour draws on her youth in London and her coming of age in America, where she lived for years. Since moving back to the UK, she has made her acting debut in series for Netflix and for Sky. But what I'm desperate to find out is what you eat before a photo shoot in downtown Manhattan or after a sellout comedy show at the Hammersmith Apollo, or just when you're back in your Uggs on home territory in South London. I suppose I'm going to find out. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Michelle Deswar, welcome to Comfort Eating. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Grace. Look, I think it's fair to say that even though you were an incredibly funny lady, the video of you online, which could be getting the most hits, is of you falling over twice. Mm. You're in very high heels. Mm -mm. You walk in the Gucci catwalk. Yeah. If I was going to fall over in public, I'd like to do it for Gucci. I mean, you can't really top it. Every now and again, I'll see someone trip over or someone will be like, oh God, that was so embarrassing. And I'm like, yeah, you'll be all right. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> My fault was played on the news. <laughs> but I knew I was going to fall. I'd only just started modelling a few months before I was like pulling pints in a pub. So I definitely was not qualified to be walking on shag pile carpet. Right, this is it. In your absolute defence and I mean you don't need to be defended but that was a shag pile carpet you can't do 120 millimetre stilettos on a shag pile carpet it can't be done I'll be honest with you I I, I can't even really walk in any hill do you know what I mean do you not wear heels at all now no not a fan of heels and now I just accept that I walk like a geezer I don't have much grace with it and they also hurt I think part of it as well is I'm tall like my mum loves heels but she's shorter and she loves the extra few inches it gives her. Yes, You know, yes. That, that's what she's into. Well, I don't have that. You can just stride out the house. I really, when you have a proper look at me, I have the proportions of a small Shetland pony. <laughs> it's all arse. And the thighs, they just like, they start. <laughs> this is where you argue with me. No, <laughs> I refuse. I'm like, go on, continue coating yourself. <laughs> I'm in your house. I wouldn't dream of trying to convince you otherwise. Every week, my guest brings me the cheeky little morsel that they love to pop in their cob for a shot of solace on a cloudy day. Now, I have a tray in front of me. I have no idea what is under here. Please unveil your snack. You look so happy. I feel quite emotional. Explain your snack. It is a jacket potato with cheese and tuna. It's a proper jacket potato as well. That that is not microwaved. No. That is not microwaved. You know, we were sold a lie with microwaves. They were like, oh, just do one in 10 minutes. Oh my God. And then you've got this papery skin thing just spitting at you. I was brought up on microwave jacket potatoes. And my mum, like, because it was that time, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Where, like, we were one of the first people on the estate to have a microwave. Yes. Where, like, people would come and knock and just, like, with a whole frozen chicken and, like, 50p for the electric meter and they're, like, sort me out now. And, like, my mum put everything in the microwave. Into this day, she'll be like, do you want a jacket potato? And you're just like, no, it's going to come out the size of a Tic Tac. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's always got that. 10 pence piece size of kind of really, really, really hard skin on the bottom. And it's all been microwaved. And you think, oh, this is nice. It's just like a crisp. (laughs) You start trying to eat it. And then it gets welded around your teeth. It has to be taken off by the NHS. Yeah. It's like, what am I doing? (laughs) But you, it's a lovely, crisp, buttery skin. You've taken the tuna. You've mixed cheese in with it. Have you? Yes. Now, the cheese on the top is merely a garnish. All right, because what you've got to do is cheese first, right? Cheese first, then tuna. Tuna's cold. Then a tiny little bit of cheese on the top just for the beauty of it. Taste it. Honestly. So my friend who's very posh, 
went to a very, very, very good private school. He calls them Jackie Peas. Ah, he's a twat, isn't he? <laughs> Matt, I hope you heard that. Yeah, Matt, sort you take it out. Your... You're a grown man, <laughs> Jackie Peas. Jackie Peas. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you know this is some niche porn, isn't it? It's so confident. You know when something Jack feels so good, you sort of contemplate whether you could shove it in your fanny. Just like, whoa. Can't do you for it. You can't do you for it. I mean, did it in public? If you did it, if you did it at Wal- Walthamstow Town Hall, they're going to have some issues. I'll be honest with you, Walthamstow Town Hall. No, everyone would just carry on with their day and go. Bloody hell, she's had a long weekend, didn't she? They'd be like, "That's impressive." Yeah, in it. <laughs> I even taken her pants off. Right. I'd, la- I'd I'd lay it like an egg. Do you remember um, Bjork when she when she was on the red carpet in that swan dress? That'd yeah. be me. Yeah. Jack potato landing. Oh my god! I feel like I should talk. Right, look, jacket potatoes. Tell me the kind of ideal time that you would find yourself eating that. If I've been travelling, or if I'm feeling a little bit, just wanted yeah. something like reassuring. That's what I would get because it doesn't take much chewing. Mm. You know what you're getting, and it's lovely. And I feel like tuna mayo, especially, is my baseline. I, I never don't enjoy tuna mayo. Honestly. I need to ask other questions, but I could just keep on going. Because it's like, you know, people are sniffy about tuna on a pizza. But if you put tuna on a pizza and then put a load of cheese on, you've just got the same thing again. It's absolutely delicious. Do you know what I'm saying? But And there's all kinds of, diff- you know, as I've gone up in the world, so has my taste in tuna. Like mm. little Poland caught tuna from prayer. Oh, I remember the first time I had that, I was like, mind blown. Wow, who knew tuna could be like this? I still feel the same about those baguettes though in Pratt. I'm nothing without Pratt. I realised that in lockdown. I was like, you know what, Michelle, you're fucked without this shop. I know. Like, what are you going to eat? Where are you getting your five a day from? I might as well call it mummy. Yeah. Bop, bop. It's just like, oh, yeah. yeah. Come in and have some porridge. Although, let's talk about the feelings of being a bit tight with this cosy living thing. But they whatever. They are taking the piss. They're taking it the is fucking a, piss. It is a sadistic relationship I'm in that I go in there and I'm like, £13.20 for like a, for a yoghurt yeah. and half a sandwich. Thank you very much. I'll be back in 25 minutes. Exactly. It's like... Yeah, you want you want to kick off, but you know, me and you both know that I'm your bitch, so I'll be back. <laughs> but like, I love the salmon sandwich as well. And like, they yeah. pack it up at the front and I'm like, then I yeah. open it up and I'm like, Pret, you cunts. Cunts again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's you, what you're known for is corner to corner. Every bite should no be consistent. Bites. And now look at you. Mm. I'll be back tomorrow to have this conversation again. (laughs) There's my £40. Thanks for the green juice. Ta-ta. Something happened to you that I used to dream of happening when I was a kid with my... uh, Shetland Pony proportions. I used to lurk by the escalator in Topshop and go to clothes shows and fashion shows hoping to be scouted. Never happened to me. It did happen to you. Yeah. You were scouted. Yeah. So what I want to do is live vicariously through that moment. What happened? The first time my friends had gone to a modeling agency and they said no. And then her mum took my picture in and then they called me up. And then... 
I got scouted at the pub I worked in. I got scouted a few times. It just kind of decides for you. And my first run with modeling, I didn't make any money and I got dropped by my agency. So I kind of thought that was it. And then when I started again, I didn't make any money in this country. I was still bartending. So I didn't think anything was going to come off it. It's not until a New York agency came to storm a model agency and then they flew me out to New York that I actually was like, oh, I could make a living doing this. I was only meant to go for two weeks. And then in like the second week, I got booked for this job. And yeah, it was it was like loads of money. And I swiftly went out and like got a discman loads of cds or some shit i don't know i see i'm fascinated by what people do when they first get that that check things like modeling yeah suddenly it's like a few thousand quid it's like it's a few thousand dollars yeah and i think when you're that age as well my aspirations weren't that big Mm -hmm. you know i was like Mm -hmm. i'd love to be able to buy my little brother some trainers and like get my mum some bits and you know, maybe take us all on holiday and Mm. I wouldn't mind being able to get any CD I wanted. How did life change eating-wise? I'm actually, I remember like one of the first things was taking my mum and my brother and we went to Pizza Hut. Yeah. I just remember thinking that was proper fancy. Yeah. Like just a salad bar. What? A salad bar, the ice cream factory. You know what I mean? Like there's little bacon bites and 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 croutons like I remember my first crouton like that was a big deal I was like what is this stale bread that they're remarketing as fancy I'm in but then you must have made a leap to restaurants that you didn't feel particularly comfy in at first when you walked in I always think that if you've come from not a lot of money restaurants are just intimidating places like so you there's nothing to stop you going and you've got the cash in your account but yeah did you feel like that I felt inadequate not because I was like um I'm I'm not really used to this Mm. it was I just didn't know what things were like calamari first time I saw it I thought it was an onion ring Mm. do you know what I mean and like I remember ordering steak tartare and it turning up and being like what the ross is this what are you lot? It's a so raw were, egg a on raw mince. Egg, raw egg on raw mince. And every and they're like, oh, this is lovely. And I was like, no, nah, did I just order this? And then a guy in a little jacket comes and mashes it up by you. For I said, you. you can take that back and cook it, mate, and bring it back in twenty minutes. What is this? I can remember like some key things: ordering a, a, a salad nicosi. And my lovely mate uh, from from Hull, who'd been like modelling for a little bit longer than me, she was like, no, Michelle, that's, you know, it's a salad niçoise. But you <laughs> have to say things out loud to make that mistake to know because nobody in my remit when I was 17 knew, ever said salad niçoise. Yeah. I did, it's just... I still don't know how to pronounce things. I'm dyslexic, and but I know that mm. I can ask the waiter and just say, yes. I don't, how do you, sorry, I, I want this, but I don't know yeah. how to say it, but I want that one. And he'll tell you, or she'll tell you, or they'll tell you. They love it. They don't mind. They want because, to tell you. Yes, and it's okay. <laughs> you know, there's such strength in vulnerability and being curious. You're 19, 2001, when you moved to New York. You're young, you're far from home, living with a handful of other model friends. So... I'm thinking you've had quite a lot of eye-opening experiences when you were there. Yeah, many. I'm really interested in that whole scene, though, because I've seen it in London. 
I can only imagine it's worse in New York. So there's the scene, there's the models, and then there's the guys that hang around the models. Yeah. And some of the models are dating those guys, and some of them are just kind of using them to go on holidays, but the guys want the beautiful girls around, and it's this kind of weird, slightly alarming industry. Yeah, and the thing is, is that when you're young, you're not seeing it from that point of view you don't understand the currency of like youth you don't get it yet I think about when I was in my mid-teens I dated a guy who was way older than me Mm. and uh, they all tell you the same bullshit like oh you're an old soul you seem wise Mm. I can talk to you better than I can talk to anyone else and you're so fucking young and dumb and stupid that you're like oh I am an old soul you're not looking at your amazing perky tits being like this is actually why you're here yeah Yeah. you're like actually I'm quite mature for my age man that's that's a really good point and then you are the age of the person that you date and you look back and you think what the actual fuck and then every man you meet when you're that age his wife doesn't understand him yeah she's just (laughs) like she like trapped him she absolutely trapped him and like he will leave her eventually he's just waiting for the kids to grow up and you know why because he's such a nice guy i've heard you talk about jeffrey epstein now he's the wealthy financier charged with creating a vast network of underage victims for him to sexually exploit. He died in prison. You met him? Yeah, I was taken to his house. Mm. My agency at the time had really close ties with him. Another man who's been connected to that case called um, Jean-Luc, he was the owner of my agency who also allegedly committed suicide in prison. So he used to run my agency and when September the 11th happened, Mm. he was like, oh, a friend of the agency has got private jets and can fly you girls out of New York. And we were like, yes. And Mm. so we were taken. Obviously, I didn't know who it was at the time. But as soon as we walked into the house, I was like, oh, every instinctively, everything was just firing off in my body going, this does not feel safe. And he was there and he was being creepy and... You know, but that was very much the norm at mm. the time. Mm. So I didn't yeah. know the danger we were potentially in. Mm-hmm. And you've got all these adults around you saying, no, this is normal. So, yeah, he was like, oh, do you want to come on the jet? And I was like, I'm going to stay in New York with possibly like another terror attack happening. I'm going to stay here. I feel safer. Yeah. Just nine months after you moved to New York, 9-11 happens when two planes flown by members of Al-Qaeda crash into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. 2,600 people lost their lives that day. It must have been so weird to be there. What do you remember about being in Manhattan at that time? I'll be honest with you, because I'd grown up in Brixton and sort of like I'd grown up for a few riots as well. Mm. So I'd say like yeah. the riots in the early 90s were probably more traumatic for me personally. Yeah. Living in Brixton than being in New York in September the 11th because I don't have any family out there. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is surreal. And I think as well at that point in my life, I was mm. so emotionally detached Yes. from how I felt. It was quite surreal. It felt like I was watching it through a TV. And I was like watching harrowingly people jump out of buildings. And I was just like, man, wow. So I didn't realise I was there. Do you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't realise I was there. 
And uh, yeah, I think that's part of like, you've got all these coping mechanisms. Mm. So, you know, you can survive. What was Manhattan like at that point in time anyway, regardless of 9-11? Fun? Fucking wicked. Mm. Yeah. It's, I've had a disgusting amount of fun, an illegal amount of fun, Grace. I could stay in now every night for the next five years and be know. fine. I've done it. Yeah. I've got a whistling nostril. I've just about got like... Sweetheart. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a couple of bags that hopefully will be back in fashion any day now. <laughs> and uh, half memories of great nights. We're talking about 2000 to 2010? Yeah. yeah. I'd say if there was like a score for that time of my life, it would go, it's Britney, bitch. Oh, yeah, mate. Do you remember? Just yeah. like, yeah, yeah, everything was low slung. Yeah. Your pubes were poking out the top yeah. of your, your, your Miss 60 jeans yeah. you had like you know your little your little chloe bag and three vests laid on top of each other a massive belt loads of necklaces some terrible hat and uh you just thought it was the shit what time do you get up i mean how dare you fucking ask <laughs> get up when i'm fucking ready <laughs> well i'll get up if there was a, a normal day back then would have been let's add four castings and the first one was at one, I would get up at 11. I would go to the deli. I would get a bacon, egg and cheese. Yeah. I would get a coffee and I would sit on my doorstep in the East Village. I'd eat that and then I'd have about three cigarettes. Yeah. Then I'd go upstairs, try and squeeze out a shit, get in the shower, <laughs> sort out my Do you hair. You always have then... to have a, a pre-casting shit to put you in the in the mood for the day. Yeah, I'd put, <laughs> I'd put my high heels in my bag and then I'd ride to the castings. It sounds like you were eating, though. You were eating. We were, yeah. You I were was. eating? Yeah. This is spoiling all of my pre-planned thoughts that basically you were just eating, like, you know, a stock yeah. cube in a cup with some water. Yeah, or like cotton wool balls. Everyone was asking, like, I've never seen anyone do that. Have you never eaten a cotton wool ball? No. And a toilet paper. No. This is very disappointing. Sorry, mate. I mean, do you know what me and my friends would do? Because we would we would get called into like um like your agents would sit you down and and have chats with you about weight. But I think I was lucky that I grew up in in Brixton, where at the time predominantly black area, and I think in Jamaican culture, which is my dad's from Jamaica mm-hmm. and that's half my family are from there. Curves are celebrated. I was very self-conscious about being skinny and that sort of never really left me. So I didn't have that like, oh my God, I really want to be really skinny. Even though I'd started working in the fashion industry where that's celebrated, I had grown up being really self-conscious about being skinny. I want to know, uh, where are you partying at the end of this night when you've uh, you've been to your castings? I'm going then- to the meatpacking district to Lotus. <laughs> there was this club called Lotus and we were just swan in. We would go in there, we'd sit in the VIP You're not section. You're not waiting with all the normal ugly people. As if, as if. Ta-ta, <laughs> see you later, bye. See you go, with your yeah. cellulite. I wouldn't even, wouldn't even look at them, Grace, just go <sighs> right to the front. The doorman would see us all, us little baby giraffes <laughs> clonking up in our, <laughs> in our hills and our terrible hats and they would just open up the rope and we would go in and then the VIP would welcome us over and we would drink loads of um, free vodka. Yeah. Absolute bitches. I know. 
Can I take you back to childhood? Yeah. Modeling completely transformed your life. You become this wealthy woman living in Manhattan. A dickhead. <laughs> a proper you dickhead. You become a massive dickhead. Yeah. An insufferable <laughs> bellend. <laughs> this is a huge journey from a little girl in South London on an estate. You leave school very early. Let's go back to childhood. Paint me a picture of the place you grew up. Who's in the flat? Do you eat together? Do you eat around the same table? Tell me about that. Well, it was just me and my mum until I was 10 years old because I've got two older sisters, but I didn't meet them until later in life. So it was just me and my mum. We moved a lot. You're moving around South London? Yeah, we lived in like Lewisham, Borough, Wandsworth, and then Streatham. And then as I hit my teens, then we lived in Brixton. So just you and her though? Just me and her. And then she had my brother when I was 10. So then it was the three of us. But I come from a long line of women that can't be asked with cooking. So <laughs> we had a kitchen table, but I feel like it was mostly for like smoking fags and drinking tea. But my mum was never fussed <laughs> yeah. about, she just weren't fussed about cooking. And I, I, I'm the same. And even my gran... She's the same. My grand's um, got her wife and they've been together for my whole life. And mm. even my grand's wife does most of the cooking, but it'd be stuff like that, like a jacket potato or like they'll just get a roasted chicken from the shop and have that with salad. Like, Well, do you and your mum eat then? No one's cooking. No one's no cooking. No one's cooking. No one's, like my mum, she would cook. Does the oven get, ever get put on? Maybe like for a roast once every few months or something but she would cooking seemed like a massive burden and an inconvenience and a big resentment and I understand I just think at the time it was like a different it was a different time wasn't it and I it did just waste women's fucking time cooking yeah Yeah. I remember at one point she was just in us eating off paper plates she was like I'm not washing up this is bullshit that's so radical it isn't it? It's such a I didn't understand at the time. Defiance. Yeah, one one Christmas. Imagine. One like, Christmas, everything was on paper plates. She was like, I'm not fucking doing this. But paper plates and it's all going in the bin and we're done. But I'd come in and I'd go, mum, what's for dinner? And she'd go, oh, I don't know what you're making as a joke, right? And then I'd go, well, what are you going to make? And it would always be this little battle and she'd be like, oh, all right then. And she'd turn the kettle on and I'd like, we're having smash. And she could make me a dinner in the time it took to make a cup of tea. She'd turn the kettle on and I'm like, and I'd hear her get a can and it would be like frankfurters, smash and some Bisto gravy and a vegetable. So I'm sorry, like, as you were saying that, I was thinking that sounds delicious though. There's something quite frankfurters. I don't know. I don't care what's I mean, in them. I don't want to know. It's a mash of sorts, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it just, you'd hear like dinner time in my house would be like click, bing, doors opening, plastic being pierced. Yeah. Were you skinned when you were? Yeah. At times, like, it's funny how you think of, at the time, I didn't know that we were because we went on holiday, like we left the country. And um, my mum, being a white woman, loved to tan. So we would go on holidays, like, you know, once a year we'd go to Israel. My mum would um, just sit on the beach turning like a rotisserie chicken. (laughs) Get me to, like, fetch her drinks and stuff. You go to Elat? And, yeah, we would go to Elat. We'd go to Tel Aviv, um, Haifa now and again. Um, 
But my mum was just, she was resourceful. So you go into Israel, were you religious? No, not at all. Was your mother religious? Not at all. Were her family religious? No. Okay. Cultural Jews, I would say. So before you went off to Israel, was there any rules on eating? Were you going to be... We'd go to the calf and my mum would go, get all the bacon and sausage in you now. And for the next (laughs) month, do not fucking mention it. All right? Yeah. And that's it. We would just have a, like a massive like pork meat sweat fest. We we're just like get it in. And um, even my brother lived in Israel for for a while. And every time he had come back, I'd just make him bangers and mash. Just be like, oh yeah, I really missed it. So yeah, we just eat a lot of pork before we went. I say eat it all and say sorry after. It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission, right? Tell me about your dad. He's from Jamaica. Yes, he is. My dad moved to the UK when he was 13. My grand came over first and um, they lived in Islington. Did you know him when you were little? Yeah. We had a close relationship as in like he would, he taught me how to swim, taught me how to ride a bike. He would come and, you know, take me out every week and he would take me to the like markets and he would show me about like, about fruit and like how to get a mango you know important things about diet and stuff Mm. like that he was quite into on the weekends I'd always go to my grand's house on Essex Road Mm. and his uh, other daughter my sister would be there and my cousins would be there and it was like a really nice family experience and one that was surrounded by food which I didn't have Mm. with my mum's side of the family so yes you know what I mean this was like everyone comes together and everyone eats And it was like, you know, curry chicken, rice and peas, dumplings. Like, although we didn't talk much about our emotions or wasn't, we all ate together. There was something quite amazing about that. Whereas my mum's side of the family were all very transparent about the way we feel all the time. And quite frankly, it's fucking exhausting. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? There's something quite nice to be said for like, let's just eat food together. And that's it. Oh God, I love that. Yeah. Like everybody's, everybody airing their feelings and their emotions all the time. Yeah. And then you go into the Jamaican side of the family and they're just like, bring a box, fill yes, it up. Exactly. Yeah. My mum loved it. She'd be like, go. Cause then my grandma would always give me loads of food to take back to my mum's. As soon as I'd walk through the door, my mum would like wrestle me down to the ground. Give me the containers. Give me the containers. <laughs> The absolute cheek of the woman and she's not cooking. And then no. she's like taking it out of your hands. It's not a normal, whatever normal is, mm. father and daughter relationship. It takes a fair bit of like navigating. My dad suffers with mental illness and he's schizophrenic. And I think part of that is largely down to the migrant experience. Mm. You know, I sort of say it's like an invitation by the queen without a seat at the table. Did you ever live with him? No. No, but I, I've i definitely, I've always known that he loves me. And he's always been quite, I think when he'd have some real moments of clarity, would be really like, I love you. And I, when I was younger, I used to think, what the fuck is this? It feels a bit heavy. Do you know mm. what I mean? I'd be sat on a mm. bus and he would like grab my leg and be like, I really love you. And I'm like, you're fucking all right, mate. Calm down. Just yeah. on our way to Croydon. Relax. And now yeah. when I look back on it, it makes more sense why he would 
really want to make sure that I knew because then he would have moments of being quite deep in psychosis. Tell me a little bit about school. I I went to school with a chip on my shoulder. When I started secondary school, we were living in um, women's aid, like a women's refuge. And I think I was really worried that people would know about it. So I was really like, I sort of went in embarrassed and feeling quite self-conscious. And that just turned me into a, like a right feisty bitch. How did you end up there? Well, because it's, um, it's a shelter for mm. women that have experienced domestic violence. That's how we ended up there, me and my mum and my brother as a family. And so starting secondary school, I, I just, I remember just feeling really not sure of who I was, which I think you do anyway when you start secondary school. And then on top of that, I just felt really exposed. Because and you didn't have a house, bricks and mortar. Yeah. To school. Yes. And so I think me, me, my mum and my brother lived in one room in this big house with other women that have mm. come from violent situations living in one room. So it was like a big house with like, I don't know, 10 families all squished into a room each. Were you avoiding a boyfriend of hers or yeah it's a safe house basically do you know what I mean Mm. where you're you know can't be found right Mm. I just felt bamboozled I was completely overwhelmed by the whole experience and I just felt like um just sad I think I was like quite sad yeah so at the age of 14 you just stopped going to school yeah I left in year nine and went back in year 10 for a couple of months and then I was like oh, I just want to work and make money also I was dyslexic well I still am dyslexic I couldn't handle how embarrassed I felt about being in the bottom set for so many things I think I hadn't learned that for me being dyslexic it comes with a lot of gifts mm-hmm. but I didn't know that at the time there's a lot of things you can do your brain just works in a different way and so I was doing this like rigid school system and I didn't yet know that there were all these other things that I'd be able to do because of it. And I was very like, oh my God, I can't, I can't spell. I can't read that well. I don't know. I, when mm. I started secondary school, I didn't even know how to spell my last name. I was really like um, in a panic about mm. it. And so I didn't know yet what's going to come with, like now I'm in the middle of editing a TV show that I've written and executive produced and starred in and I know that I have a a visual brain that creatively in certain situations can excel but I didn't know that then. Then there's a gap where you're like I've left school I'm not going back what do you do then? Uh, My mum was like right you're not going to go to school you have to work you can't just sit on your ass all day. And like, you know, watch daytime telly, you got to work. So I think my first job's out of school. I worked in Deptford Market selling cakes for a little while. And then I went and worked in a, that bagel one. shop, Bagel King. Bagel King on Moore Road, shout out. I worked there. And then after that, I worked in like Shoe Express, Shelley's Shoe Shop. Then I worked at the Trocadero. I would be terrified to buy shoes off you because I think you'd be very honest. Babes, good luck buying shoes off me. <laughs> I'd go to the back and I'd never return. I'd go, what size? 
Oh, you want to? So they you have wanna... these in a seven, please, yeah. in, in black. Yeah. I'll go, don't you worry, you sit down. And I'd go up to the stockroom and just smoke fags out the window. <laughs> Mugs. <laughs> She's been gone quite a long time. Yeah, I'm not coming back. I'm like, don't worry, what do you want? Cool. You sit your ass down and have a think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go back to your career. So it's had this very dramatic pivot. You go from being a model to being a comedian. Very basic question. How'd you get into stand-up? Um, stupidly thinking I was funnier than I was. Oh, I thought I was the life and soul of the party. I'm like, I'm so funny. It's like, yeah, with a bunch of, you know, models that probably English isn't their first language and everyone's <laughs> starving. Do you know what I mean? And you crack a little joke and everyone's like, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm gas. <laughs> no, no, darling, you must have known you were funny when you were 12 yeah I, I always yeah. like to try and like um make people laugh especially if there was just tense situations yeah. I always like to try and lighten the mood I think that was my thing when I was younger is to try and yeah. like break the tension with cracking jokes do you first walk on stage in New York or in London in New York and you walk on and it's an open mic yes I'd invited a bunch of people which was Again, that's completely insane. It's fucking stupid. And I thought, I thought it went well. I have since heard, no, <laughs> it did not go well. But I was like, well, it wasn't terrible. It was a lot of polite laughter. You anticipate bombing, right? And it going badly. And when that yeah. doesn't happen, you think, well, I can do this. And then as time rolls on, you do bomb. And then you go, well, that wasn't the worst. What's the difference between backstage at Gucci and backstage at Backdoor Comedy Club? I'll be honest with you, not much. Why not? Because it's just a bunch of people that have been thrown together and models don't take themselves as seriously as you'd think. They're actually, I've got to meet a bunch of young women from all different backgrounds and I can't imagine how I would have met them in any other industry and comedy is kind of like that as well. You meet people from all different backgrounds, different race, gender, just like mm. class, uh, religion. And I can't think of how to met them otherwise. And there's a certain thing of like, we do this unusual job that no one else does. You have had a wild ride, Michelle. Modeling, stand-up comedian, presenter, looking into your crystal ball, what do you see for the future? What other careers might you blaze into? I think moving forward, I should probably be doing stuff that is like a bit more charitable because... Uh, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Are you leaving? No, no, Is that no, it? no honestly, I know, I know. I think, I, know. I think, um, yeah. so yeah, maybe doing something that is sort of less about me. I have been on a big old me fuck fest. It's got to end soon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I talk about myself. I'm doing this. We're talking about me. I've just written a show loosely based on me. I'm going to do a gig tonight at the Pleasance Theatre. Guess what the topic is? Me. <laughs> like, it's just, <laughs> it's got to stop. It's got to stop. And finally, what would you say to your younger self who dropped out of school and was selling cakes at Deptford Market to make money? What would I say? It's going to be all right. 
And my 15 year old self would go, fuck off your nonce. (laughs) (laughs) Stop trying to chat to me, you fucking weirdo. (laughs) Michelle DeSwart, thank you for comforting with me. You're so welcome, Grace. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Ruth Abrahams. The executive producer is Lucy Greenwell. The music was written by Axel Cacoutier. Visuals by Sophie Harrow. Mixing and sound design by Solomon King. If you love this podcast, then you'll love my book, Comfort Eating. It's a slice of joy sprinkled with nostalgia about my family, stories of the making of this podcast and recipes which will leave you, well, frankly bewildered. Finally, go on, leave us a review and you can follow or subscribe so that you never miss an episode. This is The Guardian. 